Hey friends, this is Matt Sewell, and you're listening to episode 40 of the Popecast, the only podcast about popes for people who love history, but don't have the time nor the interest to pick up dry, dusty history books. Once again, this week, we want to give a quick thanks to our sponsors over at Catholic Balm Co. Since barbers are all closed these days, odds are you or someone you know has a beard that's uh, maybe a bit wilder than usual. I know that's the case with me. Or maybe the quarantine is just getting to them and they need to freshen up a bit. Either way, be sure to head over to catholicbalm.co, catholicbalm.co, and check out their stuff. As I've mentioned on, on past episodes, not only are the guys behind Catholic Balm Co. some of the finest I know, but I personally have been using their their beard balm for uh, going on five years now, and the proceeds all go to fund important Catholic youth ministry work around the world. So either hit pause now or make a note for after the episode. Go and get some for you and a friend at catholicbalm.co. That's catholicbalm.co. And be sure to enter the word Pope at checkout, P-O-P-E. Fans of the podcast get 10% off their entire order. So once again, that's catholicbalm.co and the word Pope at checkout. Thanks again to Catholic Bomb Co. for sponsoring this episode. Well, this one is part two in a series on one of the finest men to sit in the chair of St. Peter, ordained a priest in secret at the start of the communist occupation of Poland. He was a bishop at 38, an archbishop at 44, and a cardinal at 47. Though he was gifted with a towering intellect and a love for academics, his greatest joy was spending time in the outdoors, canoeing, camping, and praying with his friends. Once again, on the Popecast, it's the 263rd successor of St. Peter, the Pope who destroyed communism, St. John Paul II. Now, a quick note before we get into it. As we mentioned in part one, the life of St. John Paul II can and has filled dozens, if not hundreds, of books by this point. So even if we did just even if we did 20 installments on this great sainted pope, we, we of course, couldn't do him justice. So even still, just one uh, episode could never be enough. So part one, for those who, who listen or maybe you haven't uh, listened yet, covered John Paul's early life from his birth to his uh, ordination of the priesthood. And then this episode on John Paul will cover his priesthood and elevation to the Episcopate and the College of Cardinals. And then part three, which will be coming out soon, will wrap things up and cover his 26-year papacy. Father Carol Wojtyła had been ordained in Cardinal Adam Sapieha's private chapel on All Saints Day, 1946, at the age of 26. He celebrated his first Mass at Wawel Cathedral, the Basilica of Saints Stanislas and Wenceslas in Krakow, and just two weeks later was shipped off to Rome to study philosophy and moral theology for two years at the famed Angelicum, where he was under the tutelage of the renowned French-Dominican Father Reginald Garrigou Lagrange. It was during this time that the young Father Carroll visited, at one point, San Giovanni Rotundo, in order to retreat and to be in the company of one Saint Padre Pio, the humble friar who bore the stigmata, the wounds of Christ. It was discovered later, as a matter of fact, that Padre Pio confided in the future Pope, not that he would one day become Vicar of Christ, as many have assumed, but rather that his most excruciating wound that he bore was that on his shoulder, which had never been cured or treated. It was a detail that Padre Pio apparently only shared with the young Polish priest for reasons we may never know, this side of eternity. But anyways, after completing his 280-page dissertation on St. John of the Cross in Latin, 
by the way, he returned from Rome and was assigned to the small country parish of the Assumption in Neogovich, 15 miles outside of Krakow, where he promptly knelt and kissed the ground upon arrival, a move he learned from reading the life of St. John Vianney, patron of priests, and something he would repeat throughout his life as a priest and even as pope. The entire town lacked basic amenities like electricity, a sewer system, or running water, but Father Carroll seemed not to mind. He was faithfully dedicated to both his people and to the Lord, spending many nights lying prostrate in front of the Blessed Sacrament. His parishioners often spied on him, inspired by his great devotion. He also would often trek long distances to visit his parishioners in their homes, recounting his winter journeys in particular. John Paul later wrote, quote, But snow will cling to your cassock, then it will thaw out indoors and freeze again outside, forming a heavy bell round your legs, which gets heavier and heavier. By evening you could hardly drag your legs, but you have to go on, because you know that people wait for you, that they wait all year long for this meeting. End quote. His efforts led the parish of the Assumption to become particularly vibrant, so much so that, as would be the case for virtually his whole clerical existence in Poland, the Soviet secret police sent spies to attempt to undermine his efforts. As Jason Everett writes in his great book, John Paul the Great, His Five Loves, quote, they abducted and beat a young man who was helping to type Father Carroll's doctoral thesis because he refused to divulge information that the Soviets could use against Wojtyla's youth group. Father Carroll assured him that he didn't need to hide anything and comforted him, saying, Don't worry, Stanislav. They'll finish themselves off. End quote. He was only assigned in Niagovich eight months before Cardinal Sapieha reassigned him to St. Florian's Parish in the heart of Krakow. During his two years at St. Florian's, Father Carroll was devoted particularly to young people of the parish, as he was in Niagovich, leading retreats, preparing couples for marriage, and paying special attention to the formation of college students. Apparently, pickup games of soccer were common, too, as were the discussions and lectures held at his house, all in service to raising up young leadership in service to the church. He was directed on to further graduate studies in 1951, which allowed him to teach at the university level. He began teaching theology at the historical Jagiellonian University, his alma mater, just two years before it was shut down by the Soviets. Over the next few years, he also taught in Krakow's clandestine seminary, which he had once been a student of, as well as the University of Lublin, a few hundred kilometers away. In fact, he would eventually become the chair of the entire ethics department he excelled so much in his job, while still in his 30s, no less. Even amidst his academic life, however, Father Carroll still made a point to connect often with the same group of young people that he came to know and love while in Niagovich and later at St. Florian's. The group, which Father Carroll had named Shrodovisko, which can be translated loosely to mean milieu or environment, took regular camping, hiking, and kayaking trips into the countryside around Krakow, both to enjoy God's creation, but also, as Bishop Robert Barron wrote in a 2016 essay, quote, subtly training them in Catholic philosophy, theology, and spirituality. This was, to be sure, an act of subversion at a time when the government was attempting to impose a dreary atheism on the Polish people, end quote. They called him Wujek, Polish for uncle, since it was forbidden by the communists for large religious gatherings in general, but particularly those led by a priest. So Father Carroll, and even later as bishop, archbishop, and cardinal Wojtyla, dressed as a layman in order to conceal his identity and blend in. His words rang loudly, but so too, as one might imagine, did his witness. 
Jason Everett notes that Vujek would lag behind the group often while hiking in order to spend time in contemplative prayer on his own, and he quotes one of the members of the group, Casimir Braun, who said, quote, We even had a saying, Uncle went on the mountain. Of course, he did not go on the mountain, but rather to any solitary, secluded, quiet place. He prayed the rosary and the chaplet of divine mercy. We had a feeling that he is praying all the time, end quote. Even in a time when being accompanied by a priest was forbidden, Vujek was always close to his young people, from his earliest days as a parish priest to his election as the next successor of Peter and beyond. Fittingly, in 1958, Father Carroll was on one of these kayaking trips deep in the wilderness when he was summoned to Warsaw to meet immediately with Cardinal Stefan Wyszynski, the primate of Poland. Archbishop Eugenius Baziak, Father Carroll's boss and the apostolic administrator of Krakow at the time, had recommended to Pope Pius XII that the young priest be made an auxiliary bishop, and the Pope happily obliged. In writing about his trek to the nation's capital, John Paul would later recount, quote, So I set off, first in the canoe over the waves of the river, and then in a truck laden with sacks of flour, until I got to Olstenek. The train for Warsaw left late at night. I had brought my sleeping bag with me, thinking that I might be able to catch a few winks in the station and ask someone to wake me when it was time to board the train. There was no need for that, in any event, because I didn't sleep. After initially questioning the appointment due to his young age, Cardinal Vyshinsky urged him not to oppose the will of the Holy Father, and Wojtyla happily consented. Before rejoining his friends in the woods, Father Carroll needed to make a quick stop in Krakow, but was delayed several hours waiting for the train. In the interim, he visited a convent chapel, whose priest was one Father Jan Zieha. Father Zieha later told of the future pope's stay. Quote, when he did not emerge for some time, the nuns looked in on him. He lay prostrate on the ground. The sister stepped back, filled with respect. After another while, the sister looked into the chapel again. The priest still lay prostrate, but the hour was late. The sister went up to him and shyly asked, perhaps Father would be so kind to come to supper. The stranger responded, My train to Krakow isn't until after midnight. Allow me to stay here. I have much to discuss with the Lord. End quote. Vujek eventually made it back to Krakow, notified the archbishop and his brother priests, and then rejoined his friends soon after. On September 28, 1958, Karol Wojtyla was consecrated a bishop at the tomb of St. Stanislaus in the very same cathedral in which he had served mass while Nazi planes bombarded the city nearly 20 years earlier. Now Bishop Wojtyla served as an auxiliary in his home diocese for seven years before being named Archbishop of the same historic see once held by St. Stanislaus himself, ironically being the compromised choice of the communists. He had somehow given government leaders the impression that he would be an easier patsy for their nefarious agenda. Who knows? But safe to say that it was perhaps, as Jason Everett writes, quote, the greatest miscalculation in the history of communism, end quote. Vujek would be archbishop for 13 years before being called to Rome to don the white cassock, and what eventful years those were. So dangerous was the archbishop to the Soviet cause that he had an entire unit dedicated to round-the-clock surveillance of him. Everett writes that, quote, By the time he was elected pope, the Soviets had compiled 18 cartons of reports. Wojtyla's phone line was tapped, his letters read, and every homily recorded, with every sentence examined. The government obsessed over every detail of his life, wanting to know how often he went to the dentist, who polished his shoes, and who purchased his underwear. End quote. The stories of his entire life being bugged, I mean, reads rather like a spy comedy at times. 
It became well known later on that the archbishop, knowing his house was bugged, would speak very loudly to give the communists what they wanted to hear, and then save his more important and clandestine conversations for his camping trips away from prying ears. At other times, though, he all but played the action hero, ditching the communist tail by swerving in and out of traffic, then dashing into another car in order to get to a secret meeting while the communist tailed his original driver, as one story went. His personal secretary, now Cardinal Stanislavich, recalled their constant presence and John Paul's dark sense of humor, saying, quote, They were always there, always on duty, watching from the other side of Franciscanska Street. And as soon as the archbishop's car left the building, the agents would glide along behind in their sinister black vehicles. In fact, he used to wave at them or even bless them as he was about to leave. He used to call them my guardian angels, end quote. The ultimate foil to the communists, though, was twofold. First, Vujek knew Marxism and its weak points better than they did, having studied it in great deal detail for decades. And second, his iron will, coupled with a deep faith in God and great devotion to the Blessed Mother, meant he was never afraid of their sad, secular ideology and lame intimidation tactics. In fact, he apparently once quipped to a White House correspondent that, quote, the career of every person on earth began in a diaper, even though today he may be wearing the uniform of a military general or the ribbons of an ambassador, and his career will probably come to an end, again in a diaper, except perhaps a slightly larger one, end quote. When the government wouldn't let him build the churches he needed, he would travel to the parish himself and celebrate mass on an empty lot, often in poor weather to make the government look like whiny children. When the communists confiscated the historic national icon of the patroness of Poland, Our Lady of Czestochowa, he led the national procession with an empty frame. And when Pope Paul VI was denied a travel visa to attend the 1,000th anniversary celebration of Poland to end the procession at the shrine of Czestochowa, Cardinal Wojtyła, as Everett details, quote, placed an empty throne adjacent to the altar as a reminder to the faithful of the government's denial of religious freedom, end quote. In 1967, Pope St. Paul VI gave Wojtyła a nice red hat, elevating him to the College of Cardinals at the young age of 47. That same year, Cardinal Wojtyła would play a vital role in formulating the landmark encyclical Humana Vitae, which upheld the Catholic Church's stance of not permitting the use of artificial contraceptives. Well worth a read, by the way, if you haven't heard of it or checked it out. Only about 14 pages, and you'll read the word fecundity about 20 times. But I digress. Wasn't Wojtyla's first dalliance in Rome, as a contributor to Vatican affairs, of course. As a brand new bishop, many know he had participated in the Second Vatican Council earlier that decade, where he was primarily a contributor to the document Gaudium et Spes, the pastoral constitution on the church in the modern world. Close to a decade later, Pope Paul VI would summon Cardinal Wojtyla back to Rome to preach a retreat to the Pope and his papal household. No easy task. The Cardinal apparently shut himself in a convent in order to focus, but his daily schedule involved writing in the morning and in the evening, but retiring to the ski slopes during the afternoons. Though his whole life embodied living a life of virtue of material poverty, his one luxury item seemed to be a set of fine head-brand skis. This apparently bothered some people around him, who would ask him at one point if he thought it unbecoming for a Cardinal to ski. John Paul replied bluntly, it is unbecoming for a cardinal to ski badly. At any rate, that retreat he preached was eventually published as a book under the title of A Sign of Contradiction. In 1978, just two years later, Cardinal Wojtyla would travel to Rome to mark the death of a pope, an election of the new successor of Peter. It was August, 
and the Pope was Paul VI. Though he's thought to have received a few votes on that second of the four ballots, the choice of the gathered cardinals was Albino Luciani, the Patriarch of Venice, who took the name John Paul I to honor the two previous pontiffs, and it was the first instance of a pope taking not one, but two regnal names upon his election. Interestingly enough, he also insisted on being called John Paul I, instead of simply Pope John Paul. Think of how Pope Francis has no numeral after his name being the only one so far. But apparently, John Paul I had an eerily prophetic awareness that he wouldn't be around for long, saying when pressed that, quote, My name is John Paul I. I will be here only a short time. The second is coming, end quote. And as if that weren't enough, a few days prior to his death, John Paul I apparently said to his Secretary of State, quote, Another man better than I could have been chosen. Paul VI already pointed out his successor. He was sitting just in front of me in the Sistine Chapel. He will come because I will go. End quote. Jason Everett notes in his book that it was Cardinal Wojtyla who was sitting in the very seat he referenced, and goes on to mention a rumor that J.P. I had made a visit to Sister Lucia, one of the Fatima visionaries, in 1977, while still Patriarch of Venice. Perhaps it was there that he was given the prophecy that, quote, he would reign briefly as Pope and would be followed by the Cardinal of Krakow, end quote. But we'll likely never know for sure. But still, pious legends are always fun to think about, huh? In any case, surely enough, his papacy would be among the shortest in history at 33 days. Cardinal Wojtyla had barely returned home when he heard the news at breakfast that the new pope had died. It's said that he dropped his utensil, was overcome with emotion, and immediately developed a migraine headache before retreating to his chapel for many hours, lying prostrate on the floor with his arms outstretched. When leaving for the Eternal City once more, soon afterwards, his driver bade him farewell and wished for a safe journey back to Poland once the conclave was all over. Cardinal Wojtyla responded soberly, One never knows. Well, as we near the end of this installment of the life of St. John Paul the Great, here's an excerpt from his book, Sign of Contradiction, given that we always try to end these papal episodes with a quote from the pen of the Pope himself. The book, remember, is a collection of talks that he gave to Pope Paul VI and his aides on their Lenten retreat in 1976. Here's John Paul. Man goes beyond himself. Man must go beyond himself. The tragedy of atheistic humanism, so brilliantly analyzed by Father Henri de Lubac, is that it strips man of his transcendental character, destroying his ultimate significance as a person. Man goes beyond himself by reaching out towards God, and thus progresses beyond the limits imposed on him by created things, by space and time, by his own contingency. The transcendence of the person is closely bound up with responsiveness to the one who himself is the touchstone for all our judgments concerning being, goodness, truth, and beauty. It is bound up with responsiveness to the one who is nevertheless totally other because he is infinite. The concept of infinity is not unknown to man. He makes use of it in his scientific work, in mathematics, for instance. So there certainly is room in him, in his intellectual understanding, for him who is infinite the God of boundless majesty, the one to whom Holy Scripture and the Church bear witness, saying, Holy, 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 God of the universe, heaven and earth are full of your glory. St. John of the Cross has left us a beautiful testimony to such an experience. To attain to this which you know not, you must pass through that which you know not. To attain to this which you possess not, you must pass through that which you possess not. To attain to this which you are not, 
you must pass through that which you are not. The church of the living God gathers together all men, who in one way or another share this marvelous transcendence of the human spirit. And all of them know that nobody except the God of infinite majesty can satisfy their deepest longings. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks as always for listening. We hope to see you back for the third and final installment in the series on the great John Paul II. I promise it will be much sooner than it took to get from part one to part two. Now, before we go, we do have a listener question from our newest patron, James. Those who are patrons at the $2 per episode or higher tier on Patreon get to have a question answered live on the show as one of the benefits. And James asks, I've heard the persistent rumor that the apocalypse will begin once the space for papal mosaics is filled within the Basilica of St. Paul outside the walls. I assume that can be easily debunked, but do you know when or how this rumor started? Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, within the the Basilica of St. Paul outside the walls, the uh, mosaics of each of the popes, I believe all of them in history are, are around the, um, the ceiling kind of in a little inset. Um, some are the actual likeness uh, in other times, as we might remember from church history. Um, there were other more important things to worry about, like surviving. So uh, so some of them were just kind of, um, I guess, pious recreations, invented faces of, of popes or something like that. But in any event, there's a thought that after the six remaining slots after Pope Francis are filled up, that would mean that the apocalypse uh, will, will happen. Jesus will come again. But... You know, in, I mean, it's it's always fun to talk about these sorts of questions, but um, but ultimately the answer is, of course, we don't know. Maybe it will be. Maybe it'll be uh, a kind of surprise that that the Lord just designed one of his uh, one of the basilicas in Rome to to have kind of a, a ticking clock. But at the same time, it could be that we have six popes who are uh, last as long in the papacy as Pope Pius the Ninth at 31 years apiece. But then we might also have six popes who. Uh, do like there were in uh, several times in the Middle Ages where they're, you know, popes for five minutes or something like that. So so we just never know. Um, I think it's always good to remember in the Gospel of Matthew what Jesus uh, says to his his disciples. It's rather scary language if you read through it. But it's from uh, chapter 24 of the Gospel of Matthew where he ultimately says, Of the day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son but the Father alone. For as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. In those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day that Noah entered the ark. They did not know until the flood came and carried them all away. So it will also be at the coming of the Son of Man. Uh, Therefore stay awake, for you do not know the hour or the day on which your Lord will come. So, uh, Essentially, I think the lesson to be taken away is repent and believe in the gospel. We should always be prepared. Make sure our proverbial lamps are full of oil so that we can be uh, watching when the bridegroom comes again. But uh, but again, it's always fun to speculate on these sorts of questions. So thanks for the question, James. I hope that is a help. For those who'd like to join James and others as patrons of the podcast, if you'd like to ensure that we're able to continue devoting time and resources to churning out new episodes, uh, please consider joining us on Patreon at patreon.com slash thepopecast, patreon.com slash thepopecast. Patrons get early access to every new podcast episode and receive an exclusive podcast sticker in the mail. Uh, plus folks giving at higher tiers get extra bonuses like getting to ask a question on a future episode, as James did here, uh, picking the popes we do for a future episode even, and then uh, Popecast swag as well if you're um, giving it certain tiers. So check it out if you haven't yet, patreon.com slash thepopecast. 
If you haven't yet, please like, rate, uh, and review us on iTunes, and then also be sure to follow us on social media. But as we close this episode, we ask for the intercession of the great Pope St. John Paul II. Until next time. Mm-hmm.